Have I told you about the time? Uh, I probably have, but I'm getting to be an old man, so I can do this sort of thing. Have I told you about the time when, in my late teens, as I was getting acquainted with my soon-to-be spiritual mentor, Mort Whitman, in college, I broke out my guitar and uh, played and sang for him one of my favorite love songs. I'm not sure exactly which one it was. I think it was uh, Cherish by the association. Um, and what I recall telling in this setting and, and others is Mort's comment that, uh, Reggie, it sounds like maybe you're a little bit in love with the idea of being in love. And that began this conversation that led me to really consider God's love for me. Well, it, it only occurred to me recently that as much as I'm grateful that that conversation happened, here's what I wish that Mort had said to me. I wish he'd said, Reggie, I thank God that he put that hunger for love in you. I hope it never dies. I hope you come to know that God himself loves you with exactly that kind of love. I hope you come to know how deeply satisfying that love is, and I do hope you get the chance to share a mirroring of that love here below. I'd like to spend some time today talking about the first part of today's gospel reading. It so happens that a few weeks after that conversation with Mort, I did come to know the love of God in Jesus Christ. And a few years later, Mort did perform a wedding that Mrs. Kidd and I uh, still get to celebrate year after year. And looking back, I think the aspirations of my youth had about them something of a sacramental cast, something of a hint of a love that we're made for. Because as C.S. Lewis once offered, our problem isn't that we want too much, it's that we settle for too little. In today's gospel passage, Pharisees come to Jesus. They want to talk about one thing. He wants to talk about another. They're looking for loopholes. He wants to re-enchant them with a love story that they've forgotten. Earlier, the Pharisees had wanted to talk about clean hands. Jesus had insisted on talking about clean hearts. Later on, they will want to talk about paying taxes. He will talk about giving to God. Here, they want to talk about divorce. He wants to talk about marriage. They want to talk about moving apart. He wants to talk about coming together. They want to talk about getting out. He wants to talk about staying in. In other words, Jesus is always interested in something deeper, something more central, something more important. Now, you and I are in, uh, we're all in very different situations, some happy, some sad. Some of us are called to singleness, some of us are okay with that, some of us are grumpy about that, some of us are in marriages that we wish we weren't in, and some of us are really doing pretty well. But every third year, 
we wind up back in this passage and we have a chance to go back to the fundamentals of what Jesus thinks is important about that relationship. And then we're invited to extract from it wisdom about ourselves, God, and about all of our relationships. So let us consider what Jesus has to say here. For instead of discussing the details for handling a failed relationship, he shows us the original model for the relationships that God has in mind. They want to know what they can get away with. He's like, the point isn't what you can get away with. So with Jesus, let's talk about God's design. The Bible storyline begins, you'll recall, with the bringing together of a man and a woman to become one flesh. And the Bible storyline culminates, you'll recall, with the bringing together of Christ and his bride at the great wedding feast of the Lamb. Now, there are a thousand and one ways that people blow it when it comes to marriage in the Bible. There's Abraham's readiness to surrender Sarah to Abimelech of Gerar. And Judas sleeping with his daughter-in-law, thinking she's a temple prostitute. There's David's sin with Bathsheba and Amnon's violation of Tamar. There's the law's concession to human sinfulness when the marriage covenant has been violated. And there are patriarchs and kings taking multiple wives. Despite it all, the metaphor of a husband taking a wife to himself is nonetheless the most powerful image by which God depicts his love for humanity, for all of us and for each of us. For instance, the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel reminds Judah, you were at the age of love. I spread my cloak over you. I pledged myself to you and entered into covenant with you. And you became mine. God describes in Ezekiel the way he married his people to himself. And then he uses that fact to indict her for her adultery with other gods resulting in her exile. But in the end, he says, I forgive you all that you have done. And the prophet Hosea, God tells his prophet to marry Gomer, a working woman, a lady of the night, a harlot, just to make his point that his mercy and his love will triumph. Her child, named not loved, will be renamed loved. Not my people will be renamed my people, children of the living God. And so it's no coincidence that Jesus's first miracle in John's gospel is the turning of water of mere purification into the wine of glorious and wonderful celebration a promise of where he is taking the story of the whole human race, a story that culminates in the wedding feast of the Lamb in Revelation 19. And that's why in Ephesians, Paul 
in Ephesians 5, Paul can paint the picture of Christ's love for his church as that of a husband who gives up his very life for the sake of his bride and then who lavishes the treasures of heaven on her. And that's why Paul can say in Romans that the not loved are loved and not my people are my people. For those who used to be locked into a bad and fruitless marriage with the law, they've been freed to belong to another that we may bear fruit to God, Romans 7 verses 1 through 4. And it's for that very reason that the apostle says his one goal in this life is to present us a chaste version to Christ. 2 Corinthians 11, 2. And so, despite a thousand and one ways that we mess up and blow it when it comes to marriage, from impure thoughts and wandering eyes, to horrible missteps of infidelity and dealing with the fallout, from laying sometimes impossibly high romantic expectations on a spouse, to putting them down in front of other people. From inattention to the wrong kind of attention, to abuse. From challenges that really are there in submitting to one another while negotiating roles and responsibilities, to making traditional marriage such an idol that those whom God calls to singleness feel as they should not like second-class citizens. Despite divorce races, di despite divorce rates among believers that <laughs> mirror too well the divorce rates among people in the world around us. Despite all of it, and despite the fact that every single one of us has to say somewhere along the line, Woe unto me, for I have sinned. Despite all of that, what I want you to know personally is that as husband to his bride, Jesus is governing the whole universe with one goal in mind, one purpose, to make you, his bride, shine to make you, as Paul puts it so wonderfully in Ephesians 5.27, resplendent in glory. He loves you as he loves his own body. For in some mysterious and wonderful way, you are his body. Single, married, formerly married, doesn't matter. You're his. Struggling, contented, perplexed, feeling great, or feeling a failure. It just doesn't matter. You're his. And by virtue of our baptism, we all belong to him, are valued by him, cherished by him, what he asks, 
is that we pray for the mercy and forgiveness that today's collect says we need, especially here in those most intimate of relationships. Here is where we need as much as anywhere else the forgiveness that Christ's merit and mediation bring. And here's where we need to accept, genuinely to accept the good gift of whatever way it is that he calls us to live as part of his bride and then to share his mercy, his forgiveness, and his goodness because they're real. And the world around us needs it so desperately and will see it often only in us. The Lord be with you. Almighty and everlasting God, you are always more ready to hear than we to pray and to give more than we either desire or deserve. Pour upon us the abundance of your mercy, forgiving us those things of which our conscience is afraid and giving us those good things for which we are not worthy to ask, except through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Please join me in amen.